Hello, everyone, and welcome to the TSM Q&A series. I am your host, Chrissy. I am a former producer at TSM. My last day was on Friday, but I'm here to hang out with you guys and Shane tonight. Um, so our special guest is Shane McElroy. Welcome, Shane. How are you doing? I'm doing great, and I'm excited for all these wonderful questions. I'm a little like we're both put on the spot here. It's going to be fun. <laughs> I know, it's fine. You're an ex-streamer, I'm dabble, we'll be good, we'll be fine. Um, so we're gonna talk a little bit about, you know, how we're gonna do this tonight. If you're new here, we'll give you the rundown. If you're a veteran, you guys already know the drill. So for this Q&A, we'll be pulling questions from our TSMU Discord. I believe Ali will be spamming that in the chat. The chat is over there, I think. Um, so if you have a question for Shane, head to discord.gg slash TSMU and ask your question in the Ask Stream Questions here channel. Um, once you've asked your question, join the Waiting Room Voice channel if you want to be on voice. Um, if you want to be on text, that's totally okay too. Um, and wait to be selected to join us on the show. Um, so while people get their questions in, Shane, why don't you let us know a bit about yourself and what you do here at TSM? Yeah, so my name is Shane. Um... I've been with TSM for about three and a half years, and I started as a video editor. Now I'm kind of like video editor, director, creative lead, I guess, kind of have my hand in everything but producing, because I think producing is the devil. And so anyone out there <laughs> um, go on the other side. But yeah, I kind of uh, do everything now. Started as an editor. Now I kind of pitch creative to clients, and then once it's approved, uh, make it happen in like the best way that we possibly can. Cool. Okay, so I guess we can start with the first question. We got a bunch of questions rolling in. Um, so Kenzie asks, what does your day-to-day -day look like at TSM? What does my day-to-day -day look like? Oh man. Uh, I guess it will depend on what I have going on. So if I'm leading an edit, um, depending on how far I get, like my whole day will be editing and that's it. Um, and most editors probably relate to that. Um, if you edit, you pretty much just sit in front of your computer 24 seven, um, cutting clips. And if I'm not editing, then I'm probably writing concepts for clients. And usually what that entails is like a lot of front end research on the clients. And also trying to like incorporate them into esports in a way that makes sense. I think a lot of a lot of new sponsorships are happening in esports, and it's like really difficult to get proper integration, like with with a content piece. Like it's hard to, I guess, convey why certain integration works better than what they're normally used to, like say in the commercial world. And so. That's what I do uh, if I'm concepting. And then if there's a shoot, then I'll just be on set for uh, whatever production we have. And those are typically like the three rotations in my day. Nice. So you were talking a little bit about um, sponsorship, sponsorship integrations and kind of how it's a little bit difficult uh, and the sponsorships that, you know, we're getting more and more of in esports are typically not endemic to the scene. Um, at least in previous years. So what's one of your favorite pieces um, uh, that you've done that um, you think is either a good example of what, you know, an esports sponsorship integration could look like or something that you think was really well done given, you know, the circumstances? 
So I guess I'll preface preface this by saying I think um unlike commercial world and esports, like you don't really want to like shove the product in the face of your audience. And I think that's like what's hard to get across to a lot of like brands and it can definitely work in uh, some regards. But if I had to think of a piece, it would probably be, uh, it just went on Twitter. It was for myth. It was like a coach myth spot for Samsung with the Valorant team. And basically Samsung gave me like free creative control to do whatever I wanted. And they trusted that um, we'd integrate the product like perfectly. And really all we did was have the product on the table and like myth kind of just carried carried the piece and he interacted with it a little bit and it ended up just popping off and so when you can create a piece like that where like the product is like coexisting with the uh like main actor or whatever's happening instead of like taking 80 percent of the show i think it works really well and so that's what we are trying to do uh like across the board i guess with all of our partners cool yeah we uh we do a lot of um a lot of product integration at TSM and some of it is very clever. So really hats off to the rest of content team and partners for getting that stuff done on the daily. So how did you know that you wanted to be a director of some sorts? This is a follow-up question from Kenzie. I actually never wanted to be a director. Um, sometimes it's still hard for me to be honest. Uh, my personality type is very not director. Like I, I get anxious even like telling someone something to do that's like not crazy. So like whenever I'm on set and have to be like the boss, it kind of just makes me anxious. And so that's something that's like difficult with, I guess, directing that I'm learning to do. And also with that, there's just like so many factors with directing that I never considered like trying to get like certain performances out of actors. And most of the time your actors are your gamers. And so it's like really hard. Um, and it's very obvious. And so, yeah, I, I kind of just fell into directing because I liked, or I wanted to be able to edit my own things. And that was kind of like a clear pathway where I knew if I directed the piece and then I would probably be able to edit it and I would have like the whole vision start to start to finish. And it's kind of just easier to do that, that with me. Um, so I'd say I'm still very much learning how to like be a super introverted person but be outspoken in the sense of like a director on set but uh, it's been fun so far oh <laughs> I, I was gone for a second my bad my uh <laughs> mute key is backspace on my mouse <laughs> um so we're actually going to take a question from uh panda turtle he's going to do a little voice question so whenever uh, he's ready to come in we'll uh, talk to panda nice what's up panda hello panda are you there Hello, Panda. Oh, no, he disconnected. Maybe his internet went out. Truly unfortunate. <laughs> oh, he's back. Oh, I see him. <laughs> Hello. Oh, no, he might hey, still Panda. be having. 
Okay, so we're going to figure out the technical issues with Panda. Um, and let's do another follow-up question from Kenzie. Um, she wanted to know um, how, sh uh, how you found yourself at TSM, and was it always the goal to be in the position you're in now, or was it kind of like um, something that happened naturally for you? So I found myself at TSM, I guess... Let me see, like going back, I used to watch League of Legends often, and so I like most people, like they watch Legends. And so that was my intro to TSM, like season three ish around there. And um, at the time, I was doing action sports and commercial stuff. And I kind of came to this crossroads where I didn't really know if like film was what I wanted to do. And I actually ended up applying to TSM, like, three times over two years and uh, Max finally called me back on the third time or actually I applied like two weeks late to the position and I essentially told him to hire me because I'd be better than whoever he was considering and so it worked out and that's kind of how I came upon the job. Um, I never really like wanted to work in esports per se um, but I just liked what Max and Andrew were doing at the time and wanted to be a part of it and so kind of just took off from there. And then what was, was that? The, was there a second part of the question or did I answer yeah, that? Yeah, so I, I, think that, I think that covers it because, you know, you said that you wanted to go into film, but you weren't so sure. And we all know that you have a background in gaming. Um, so it, it, makes, it makes a lot of sense. Um, okay, so the next question, I guess, while we still figure out our um, tech check with Panda, is um, with each player, there are differences in how they feel behind the camera. Uh, how do you try and adapt your filming strategies to players who may or may not like the camera? Yeah, that's a difficult one. <laughs> um, the best thing I've found to do is like, you just have to, like people will say they don't like the camera, but eventually like, it will come off a little natural with them if you just have like a real conversation with them and they don't like the biggest thing is making them feel comfortable. So whether that's you playing off their body language and how they're talking with you or trying to like get them to tell you a story or bring up a story, even like simple questions like asking about their day and then just a bunch of follow-up questions just to get them to open up. And then usually once you get ready to film, like they're a little more, like warm to the idea and it's always good like you as a director just to show them like show them what they have to do and show them like you're willing to do it in front of everyone and you don't care what people think because i think like the hardest thing it, like in front of a camera on a film set is like everyone's around you looking at you when it's time to film and so it's just like feeling comfortable making them feel comfortable also we try to pair talent with each other that work well together and so uh, if they feel like they have like a really close friend on set, it's much easier for them to like interact with each other. And so like my strategy usually when I'm concepting is to think of what players would work well together. And then I kind of just hype them up and make them feel like warm and I guess welcome when we're getting ready to film. And sometimes it takes like a bunch of takes and usually after a few takes, they'll finally either like just be over it. So give you a really good take or you just have to keep going. 
And sometimes yeah, you don't get it. <laughs> yeah, that's totally fair. I remember from remote filming with the Valorant team in Apex, especially like it takes them a little bit to warm up on camera. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, it's good memories, though. And it's always fun to have, you know, that relationship with talent. And, you know, you, it's it's less of like a working relationship. It feels like a more of a friendship over time. So, yeah, um, it's good to build like, yeah, friends with the talent. And we also have been getting like actors in LA too for some of our shoots. And so sometimes it's easy for an actor who's like been doing that for a while to kind of explain like how they do things and their mindset like way better than I could ever explain it because I've never been in that position. And so there's like a few, a few like things that play, but definitely like becoming friends with the people you're going to film with is like super easy because they'll feel comfortable. And that's the most important thing. Absolutely. So um, Tax Evasion also asks now, um, their early memories from TSM were more team vlogs of the league team without much production quality behind it. Um, as you and I both know, recently T uh, TSM has started creating content with a much more professional feel, a lot higher quality cameras, a lot more in-depth edits, stuff like that. Um, with actors and complex shots. So how do you try and balance, you know, stepping up the filming and the production quality um, with the TSM brand while also trying to keep that content relatable and candid? That's a good question. <laughs> Let me think about that for a second. So I guess my first response will be, yeah, back then, like, everything in the space was vlogs and i still think vlogs are really important and i think they can be done in a high quality fashion and so we definitely haven't done much of them lately and i think like COVID is a big thing for that too um and we've been trying to experiment with like when we typically go to a tournament instead of shooting a high quality thing like we just shoot a higher quality vlog because I think vlogs give more insight into um, like what, I guess it feels more raw and natural than something that's scripted or more high quality that we can do. But with that being said, like I think everyone, like including every esports org is always trying to up their level of content and their level of quality. And so you try to find this balance where it's like, yeah, we could make a vlog or we could just try to do this crazy idea with the team and maybe it hits and maybe it doesn't and i guess it's just a risk you have to take but i definitely think vlogs are important in the space still and we're still going to try to advocate for like higher quality vlogs like back in fortnite that's like all we did right and so it was like vlogs and like challenging type videos and i think um another thing too is like partnerships are big now in esports and so we you can incorporate products into vlogs it's actually pretty good but we've been trying to make like more comedic content more skip based stuff and so i think we're trying to still figure out a way to have like a high quality scripted production but make it feel like you're connected to them like in the sense of a vlog and so i guess it's just yeah it's it's a hard balance to to get and i don't think like either one is more important than the other but i think like as creatives we're trying to make the best quality content possible and then sometimes we have to step back and realize like what the fans want and if they want those like raw open like honest videos then we just have to kind of not put our ego aside but put like our like super high quality stuff aside and just let them 
let the talent hold the camera and do their thing. Yeah, I completely agree. I think a lot of what people, um, you know, endemic to esports is uh, very hyper aware of is that a lot of the, um, the, the, I guess the appeal, oh, Luna, Sorry. that's Shane's dog, by the way, Chad. <laughs> um, I also have a dog named Luna. That was the first thing we bonded over. But um, <laughs> back to my point. Um, yeah, a lot of the content in esports needs to be endemic to the audience in order for it to, you know, per first of all, perform well for partners, because that's a big thing in content. Um, and in esports, that's how, you know, they make their money. But also, um, you want to stay true to your audience and have that community feel. And then once you get too far away from that endemic content, so things like vlogs, challenge videos, really getting to know the talent, that's when, you know, you kind of got to weigh the risk versus the benefit. Um, that's just my my take on it. I don't know if Shane agrees with that, but um, it's definitely... Yeah, I agree with that. I, I think with vlogs, like, yeah, you also have to, like, consider who's going to be the one vlogging. And so... If we throw a camera at Myth, like we know oh, Luna, please. If you throw a camera at Myth, we know he will be really good. But maybe like certain competitive players don't really want to vlog. So that's kind of how we balance it. We look at the talent, just the idea, and kind of I guess like what they would be vlogging about. That's totally fair. Okay, so kind of I guess sort of follow-up but also segue um tax evasion also asked on top of his previous question um that shane you describe yourself as kind of a swift swiss army knife um being involved in many stages of production um what's your take on kind of how people should focus on getting into the scene should they focus more on you know editing really engaging content should they focus on more directing like where do you see the space going Uh, I might be biased, so I'm going to say that, you know, you're, a video editor will always be needed. And uh, I think it's kind of hard to be a director without, like, either a bunch of credentials or some esports orgs, like, don't, don't even want that, I guess, or they're not really in need of that yet, because um, you can kind of have someone act as, like, a director in that sense. And so... I think the Swiss Army knife thing, it kind of developed over time, so I don't see it as like a a bad thing. I, st I started editing and filming as a kid, just my friends, and so I kind of had a background in both of those. And then there's certain areas like that I do at TSM that I don't like, I don't want to say I don't care to push forward, but like for like writing concepts, for example, I'm a really bad writer. I can come up with an idea, but like putting it to paper is like, not fun to me and so that's like something on my swiss army knife that i wouldn't care to like push away um so i think i think it could be good and bad like we also have people here that are like specific in their role and we also look for specifics in the role and so if you master one thing and you're really good at it we'll definitely notice and but also like if you can offer a few different things then that's cool too so i wouldn't say there's like a best approach to enter the space you kind of just have to show that you're good at what you do and people will notice yeah i can agree so part of my job um or part of yeah part of my job responsibility at tsm was actually hiring on freelance editors which may or, which 
either would be brought on full time or would keep on freelance, depending on the relationship that they wanted to, you know, develop with us. Um, and honestly, what we look for specifically in editors is people who, you know, are responsive. They're really good at what they do. Um, we're getting really big into, you know, um, kind of meme style edits, people who really know how to twist humor in content from the creators and really capitalize on creator personalities. So that would be like an example of, you know, a very, it's a very specific skill to have surprisingly. And a lot, not a lot of editors really focus on that. Um, so that's just a prime example of, you know, finding your niche within the space, getting really, really good at something and being brought on for that purpose only. And I think it's really important to, you know, not be the best at what you do, but try to be the best at what you do. Cause you could be a jack of all trades, um, but I think this space is moving more and more into those niche roles as it grows, because it's kind of coming out of its infancy stage and growing into more of like a business model, which you have to find those specialized roles. If you want to be a jack of all trades, you're going to be a producer. <laughs> so, yes. um, yeah. So basically, uh, the next question we have is from Panda. We can get his mic to work. So we're going to actually do some text questions. Um, he asked, what is the hardest part regarding taking your pitches and turning them into a reality? The hardest part about taking my pitches and turning them into reality. I guess there's a lot that goes on from like pitching to the day you film. And so I guess one of, like, one of the hard things is, I spoke on it a little earlier, is like, how do I integrate like the product or the partnership into the piece, but make it still feel authentic. And like, I guess what we like, what I mean by that is like, I don't want people watching the video and just like hashtag adding the video. And so you kind of have to find like the first step for me is, okay, what's the product? What are they trying to get across to the viewers? And then the next part is, is like, who's my talent? And so I'll be super careful with picking talent. And then once once I do pick the talent, I'll try to go into like their personal life or just like something they do on stream a lot or something they're famous for. And I'll try to make them interact with the product in that way. So like going back to the myth thing, for example, when when I pitched this to Samsung, I just basically told them like, hey, Coach Myth is like a really crazy personality. He yells a lot. He's going to use the tablet as like his game day playbook. And so with that one, they were like super stoked on it and it was actually made pretty quickly. So I think like after getting the concept approved, I think is the hardest part because the partners want to make sure that you're going to tell the right message with the product and that you're going to show the product in a good way. And on my end, I'm trying to make sure that it feels authentic to like the talent and just to the content in general. So there's a lot of back and forth in like the pre-production stages. But once it gets approved, you kind of just figure out uh, what gear you need, where you're going to shoot, all those logistical questions. And then in the edit, you kind of just have the script to go off of. So you take it from there. And so I think the hardest part is making it feel authentic to what they're trying to uh, place in the video, I guess. Okay, that's an awesome and insightful answer. Um, just so you guys are aware and you remember from the beginning of the show or if you've just come in, you can um, submit your questions on the TSM, 
excuse me, my mouth is not working right now. <laughs> you can submit your questions on the TSMU Discord at discord.gg slash TSMU in the Ask Stream Questions Here channel. Um, once you've asked your question, whether it be text or in voice, you can oh. specify. Um, we will add you to the voice channel and you can wait to you go in the waiting room and we'll um, select you from the channel and you can ask your question on the show. Um, I heard Luna, maybe she wants to ask a question, Jane. She's usually not loud. I don't know what, what her deal is. <laughs> she sees She's something nice outside. <laughs> Great. Okay. So speaking of questions, we're going to move on to the next question. And Rito asks, which TSM squad is your favorite to film with? Rainbow Six. No, I don't even have to think about that one. The Rainbow Six dudes are my boys. Um, spent a lot of time with them. I froze in Montreal with them. Um, yeah, they're just great dudes to be around. Um, I consider them all my friends. And yeah, they just make it easy for you. I mean, that's the best when, when they know they're going to have a long day of filming and they just still are excited to film with you. That's like the best feeling as like being a content person because you don't want to like film players that are super bummed. And so the R6 guys always give me uh, yeah, the best reactions. I don't film with League too much. Um, that's Andrew and Caesar and Callan. They're really great too. Um, but I got to give it out to the Rainbow Six team for sure. Yeah, the R6 guys are great. They're like, especially Data. Data is, is Data is cool. Really sweet. Yeah, he's a genius. Data he, the genius. Yeah, he is <laughs> genius. The heart of gold. Yeah. Um, so Tax Evasion has another question for you, Shane. Are you ready? Ready. I'm loving the name Tax Evasion. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so how do you manage your work in time uh, when TSM has multiple pieces of content at all different stages of production? How do I manage my work in time when TSM has multiple pieces at different stages of production? So with me, it's like a little easier as an editor, you kind of can just bounce around with projects and um, I mean, you kind of just with an edit, you get a deadline and so if another edit comes up that's more important you just stop where you are right like in the current project and then you go to the next one and so i mean chrissy might be able to speak more to this i feel like this is like a producer question i think producing is the devil and so i think you just have to yeah you have to be really organized as like a producer to manage a bunch of projects and it's the content space so things go wrong all the time and you just have to be ready to adapt and change quickly and i guess like when there's stages of production like for like if i write a piece like if something happens in those stages of production i kind of just have to manage my time by creating like a personal list of everything i have going on and just naming what like the highest priority one is and going from there i don't feel too overwhelmed anymore i used to get really overwhelmed in the space but i come from a more commercial background and so i'm kind of used to that and so i'd say you just have to be really adaptable be really organized as a person and then also be willing to work late because those nights are going to happen and sometimes you just can't get around the deadline and so you just have to sacrifice some time on that end yeah, I can definitely speak to that. Um, so our producing team was four people strong. And um, 
we were managing anywhere between 40 to 80 projects at a time. Um, I know on my end, I was more of the post-production YouTube scheduling. So that I was not only referencing um, some software called Jira, which kind of tracks all of our projects in real time, but I also built out my own content calendar. Um, I have a physical planner that I use as well to track content um, and then sticky notes for reminders because it does become overwhelming at times. Um, Shane is completely right. You have to be very organized, but you also have to have tons of reminders, like tons. It has to be everywhere that you work or else things can slip through the cracks. So, um, Yeah, I, I think with time it gets better. Like it's definitely like a really like in your face when you first start out. Um, but I think you just have to realize like no one or everyone kind of feels the same way and is there to support you. So. Yeah, we're really blessed with content team and everybody is basically I consider everybody on content team a friend. So um, it's a very close working relationship because you're always pulling long hours. You're always working on a lot of different projects. You're always talking to one another and um, really best blessed to be in esports where everybody's interested in the same thing. So it's very easy to relate to people and it's very easy to make those and form those and keep those friendships. So I guess the next question is, uh, what's your favorite film stock to shoot on? This is from Dr. Vong. Dravong? I don't know if <laughs> correctly. Yeah, I, I know who that is. My favorite film stock to shoot on. I mean, I'm going to be hip and say it's Portra 400, but that's probably like what the whole world likes to shoot on. Um, I want to shoot Cinestill. I still haven't had a chance to shoot Cinestill. And I guess like, Kodak is like the, one of the only ones, like main ones now since Fuji has stopped making Pro 400H. And so I'm just going to go with the simple uh, Portra 400. And if I'm shooting black and white, it'll be Tri-X. Shout out Dr. Vaughn. <laughs> cool. Uh, speaking uh, towards, you know, filming and uh, filmmaking in general, uh, we can kind of move into a logistics question. So tax evasion again is back with another question um, asking about logistics. Yeah. So it can be, he said that it can be really expensive to get equipment, uh, to get props, actors, people, teammates, everybody from, you know, producer to production coordinator um, to even create a short film. So do you have any kind of tips or tricks on producing um, on a budget? Hmm. This is like a funny question because I'm not in charge of money. And so on my end as like an editor or concept or director, I want as much money as possible for my film. And then like the producers will tell you no. And so I guess you kind of, I've learned to like go into the project. I write it where it can be done on a minimal budget, but I hope for a big budget. But yeah, I think like what I do now is I try to create a concept where it's like done in one location. If it's going to be a narrative, like done in one location, minimal talent on screen, and then you kind of just try to work with that. And that's kind of the same with, I guess, the film space in general, like the least amount of time that you're moving stuff around um you don't need a bunch of people on set to save budget and so i think i just try to write with that in mind um because it's definitely tough and budgeting is definitely really difficult and it's a good thing i'm not in charge of it because i would give myself a high budget every time and so um yeah i kind of just write with 
as little talent and locations as possible while still figuring out how to tell the story in like the most authentic way that I can. So that's probably my advice. A producer might have a better advice on budgeting. Yeah, I honestly, it's hard because it depends on the project and it depends on the turnaround time. Um, looking for deals is really big. Looking for, you know, local rentals, yeah, deals. stuff like that. It's, it, it, and it depends on what you want. If you want to invest in your, in your, you know, your resources like lighting or cameras, or if you want to take the rented route, like there's so many things that you have to kind of take into consideration. Um, okay. So we can move on to the next question. Uh, Jacksington asks, um, how often do individual projects last from pre-production to release? Um, and is time crunch ever a factor for the TSM FTX team? Um, so he said an example of this would be like Legends, which I produced weekly uh, since January, or a small example like a sponsored content ad, kind of like the myth thing. So why don't you let us know what your thoughts are on that, Shane? Yeah, so... I'm not going to put words in the Legends team's mouth, but time crunch is definitely a factor. Like producing a full show in like the span of a week and really like you have a couple days to edit is like crazy. And so hats off to Andrew Caesar Callen and Chrissy and anyone else a part of that type of content in the space. Um, like reality weekly shows are really, really difficult. And so there's definitely a time crunch there. Um, and then as far as like sponsored ad content, it kind of depends. Um, we usually try to give like a buffer in the post production area, just so we have time to edit, but usually like, honestly, a concept could take like a month to get approved depending on how involved it is. And so usually we're pitching multiple concepts and then whichever one ones are getting approved, we'll just start shooting. Um, but there's not too much of a time crunch on like that side of content besides legends. Like there's a few handful of videos I can think of where we need a really fast turnaround. And so when we announced uh, Dunuk D, we did her announcement video and I had to have the edit turned around in like a day and a half. And so there's things like that. There's our Jersey reveal video where that had to be edited by Max and myself in like two days. And we shot that video, believe it or not, we shot that whole video in like 15 minutes because we didn't have any player time. And so there's like time crunches like that that exist. And you kind of just have to adapt to like the scenario you're given. And so it's not too common in sponsored content, to be honest. So mostly things that require it to come out fast, like Legends, where if you wait too long, it'll get stale. And so another time crunch example would be like if our team plays a tournament, like we're going to be going to Mexico soon for... Rainbow Six, and so you don't want to wait too long after the tournament ends to release the video, and so you kind of just hunker down and get it done. Yeah, it's it's does vary greatly. Um, I think more along the lines of announcements are the things that we kind of focus on doing really, really quickly, which can put us in a time crunch, but also legends, yeah. Um, usually the episode isn't completed until, you know, 30 minutes sometimes five minutes before we hit live. So it, it can be a bit of a process. Um, and it's definitely, a, Legends is definitely a quick turnaround. And Caesar and Andrew, you know, are up all night editing um, for Legends. So, but other projects, if you manage your time well, it's pretty, pretty simple. 
So um, another question that we have is, what advice would you give to someone looking to get into video editing or directing? Hmm. I'm going to speak more to the video editing part because I don't think like I have enough knowledge with directing, but I don't think I started in an unconventional way. Um, I got denied from film school, and then I kind of just took that as fuel to make my own projects. And I remember when I talked with Max upon my hiring, he really liked that mo like 90% of what I showed him was personal stuff. And so I think that's super big. And, and now it's hard for me to do personal stuff. And I miss like that sort of sort of content. And so I'd say like, it's cliche, but I don't think you need to go to school at all for anything in like content related fields. I would invest your money in like, whether it's PC to edit cameras, if you want to shoot, um, and just be ready to grind. And I know that's like a typical answer, but most people you'll find um, will just continue grinding until they get what you want. I mean, I applied to TSM three times, like I said, so you just have to be persistent in the space and like always look to better yourself. And something I've learned to do is to, it's good to have people you admire in the space, like just in content in general, like I admire video editors. But I also think like it's good to not look at through look at them through their lens, like like through the lens of accomplishment, because you kind of don't humanize them anymore. You put them on a pedestal, and I think that's really dangerous, especially when you're starting out. And so, if you want to be a video editor, I would just find someone that you like, um, a style of video that you like, and try to replicate it in your own way. And um, just send your stuff out to people. If you want me to watch something, I'll even watch something. Um, and then I'd say also another huge thing is to not be attached to your work. And it sounds like cliche, but your video edits are going to get torn apart by producers and by partners. And you kind of just have to go into it unattached and you can still care about the work, but you really have to not take things personally. Like if Chrissy leaves a note on my video, like it's not like, that ruined my day. And so I think as an editor, you have to learn to, to just not have thick skin, but um, yeah, just don't take things personally and just grind and make stuff for yourself with your friends or go out and make something that you're passionate about. That's, I started in skateboarding and skateboarding led me here. So really um, any avenue will get you like to where you want to go. People want to see passion and um, they'll teach you everything else that you need to learn. Like if I were in charge of hiring for video editing, I would want to see the passion you have for it first, and then I'd be willing to teach you whatever I know and whatever you need to know to work with me. Yeah, that's actually funny. Long question. Yeah, long answer, very, sorry. very long answer. <laughs> um, to kind of speak more to that, I actually came from a background. I started making World of Warcraft videos when I was like 12 years old. Um, and eventually, you know, I was doing a lot of machinimation, which is a lot of like animation and 3D rendering and lighting and all of that and kind of making things flow properly because you kind of have to like layer things. And that's actually what got picked me up by machinima. So like you can literally just keep doing what you love, even if you're not making money on it, you can start like investing your time into your content that you like making that makes you happy. People will see that and they'll be like, man, that person's really good. And then they'll slide into your DMs. I think that's like the way I found three of our most recent editors at TSM. 
Um, because, you know, putting your work out there, doing what you love, um, really gets people interested in your content. And then they'll say, Hey, you want to, you want to trial for us? Or you want to, you want to come do a video and see how it goes. And it kind of just escalates from there. I don't think enough, um, emphasis is put on, um, putting time into things because you, you don't need a degree. I have a degree in immunology. That's a, that's a scientific <laughs> field. <laughs> like it's completely unrelated to my job now. So yeah. Yeah. I think to add to like a lot of it is like cliche, like believing in yourself. And like, mm -hmm. that's something that I think every creative struggles with. And I think if you believe in yourself, you can really like, I would just like something that's always worked for me is like you bug, you bug the person in a good way. Like you want it. I forgot what the phrase is like the squeaky wheel goes, gets noticed or something. And so like, for example, I, applied to TSM three times and really wanted it. So I just started bugging Max and I told him to basically like pay attention to me and watch my stuff. And he did, and it worked out well. And so I think if you, if you balance that with like just anything that you want in your life, it'll, it'll go notice because people like, if you're talking to someone long enough, um, people will notice you. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely the way it goes. Don't be too annoying though. That. Yeah, that's it's a it's a fine line. It's hard to teeter, line. but it can be teetered for sure. Yeah, the 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 advice I would give you we were talking a little bit about friendships earlier is try to form a relationship with the person before you start bugging them for a job. That usually works a little a, a little bit better. Um, yeah. But yeah, like if if anybody wants me to review their portfolio or you know Shane Shane said oh, you can re um, reach out to him. Like that's totally an option. Um, there's it, it, making content. You know is is hard, but you know, implementing feedback can be easy. So that if you want feedback, you can reach out to me or Shane. Um, so I guess moving on from that topic, um, somebody asked what type of work goes into making a creative pitch? What type of work goes into making a creative pitch? So I guess how a creative pitch looks for us is on the logistical side is we have every small, like every little detail possible. So that's like how long it's gonna be, what platform it's going on, what the thumbnail's gonna look like, what we think the title's going to be. Um, we write a script and it's kind of just this one page document that has every small detail because you wanna be as specific as possible when pitching to clients because like the less or the least amount of questions they ask, like the better, so the more, the more like fluid I guess you are in your responses or the way you're getting information across um, is best. And then I'd say like, besides that logistical stuff, like the biggest thing is research. And so you wanna make sure you have a really strong understanding of their brand and what they stand for and what their product is about. And then you also wanna spend a lot of time figuring out how to integrate it into the content piece. And so, yeah, a lot of that is like seeing what's trending now in the space or just popular things. Like we spoofed Whiplash with Lenovo and we had the PC there. And so I think you just have to be really confident in your pitch to the client. And if they see that you're really passionate about it and you tell them like this is going to do great, then they'll usually trust you. And it's probably completely different in the commercial world. So luckily we have like that going for us in esports. But yeah, I think the biggest things are research and like making yourself come across as clear as possible. 
great. Yeah, that's basically being concise, but also being able to, you know, speak to the brand is something that we consider all the time um, with 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 partnership content. And I think that, you know, it'll only help you with writing pitches. Um, we we review a lot of pitches on the producing team and um, having having the clear direction and kind of knowing off the bat exactly how you want it to go is really important when you're you know creating something. Um, so we have another question from the audience. Chung asks, what forms of content do you think are not being used as much, but should be? Oh, man. Uh, hmm. This might, this answer might have some bias to it, but I come from a storytelling background. And so I think those are the best types of content to make. And so that's documentary narrative, um, finding new ways to tell like a tournament story, things like that. And I know it's common in the esports space, but I think it's fading out. And that's why I say they're not being used as much. I think um, any person not in the esports space, if we make a documentary on a player, like that's the potential for that, like whoever's watching that piece of content to be inspired. And so I think it's much harder to inspire with um, what's happening right now, which is like the current like meta for YouTube and just content in general is like very challenging, very meme content, which works and is cool. But I, I think it's dangerous to lose like the storytelling um, aspect. And I think um, people in video games have a lot of great stories to tell. And I think um, the more personal you can be with a player, the better. And so I think those are like the forms of content that I think are not being utilized as much. Like there should be more documentaries like Nike level quality um, and things like that. I think a story is like the most important thing like someone has. And so I think content should be focused on, on that. And I know that's like a typical answer, but I think it's honestly like what I think would improve the space is seeing more documentary content about players and stuff, but it's just really hard to produce on a like perfect level. Like if I'm going to produce a documentary for a player, I want to go to their hometown. I want to spend like a week with them beforehand. Um, and so sometimes it's just not profitable or the resources to make it aren't worth it. But yeah, I'd like to see more of that content in the space. I think someone who did it best was StarCraft. And when I got hired, Max showed me these videos, but um, StarCraft did a thing called Signature Series and they followed their StarCraft players and they were like five minutes and they were all great. And so I think that type of stuff should make a comeback. Yeah, it's funny you should say that. I, um, I'm like a huge advocate for not long form kind of uh, personable content, but short form personable content. So kind of incorporating talent personality and um, candid talent um, interactions versus, you know, mm -hmm. scripted, scripted interactions or the challenge and Mimi type videos, um, specifically for like TikTok and YouTube, because I think, especially now we're seeing more of a shift towards, unfortunately, <laughs> um, more uh, fast paced content. Um, so that short form content is kind of a really simple way to utilize talent where you're not spending a lot of money to um, create that kind of content. And I think it's something that a lot of orgs are dropping the ball on. And I think it's something that maybe moving towards hopefully in the future with the you know the uprising of shorts on youtube now and um tiktok taking off and just growing year over year 
So I, I'm definitely yeah. into that candid content idea, but on a smaller scale because <laughs> it's more accessible for people. Yeah, I also think uh, like Fortnite did this right when Buga won the World Cup, and they kind of followed him like a week before the World Cup, and I guess it just worked out that he won it. But I'd also love to see like if we could have done something with Bjergsen where it was just Bjergsen at Worlds and like we didn't follow the team and it was just like his story. I think those types of things. I haven't seen one in esports be done yet where you follow a player like to a tournament and you just focus on that one player. Um, it'd be a little difficult, but just content like that I think would improve the space for sure. Fair. Yep, I agree. So we have another question from Dr. Vong. Shane, am I saying this correctly? Yeah, that's it. Okay. He's a producer um, at 100 Thieves. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> um, wait, is that Chewy? No, that's not true. Okay. <laughs> okay. So uh, he says, as a fellow esports producer in this space, how has your team balanced the interplay of the current headline plus thumbnail YouTube meta and making the content still fun and meaningful? That might be a Chrissy question. That might uh, be. <laughs> um, you yeah, can go Chrissy ahead can... and then I can. Okay. Uh, I'll, tr I'll try. Yeah. Let me. Okay. Let me so. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, clicks are the number one thing you want in your video. And so making a clickable title is really important. But also, you don't want it to be too cheesy or too inauthentic. Um, so it's hard. I know for like our narrative content, we don't focus on that too much. And we kind of like try to pull a one-liner from the narrative content that was really impactful and like use that like uh andrew filmed the bjergsen reset piece we did with logitech and we called it reset a bjergsen story because at some point in the piece he said like it was kind of like resetting his life and so we kind of look for things like that um but in terms of like the other meta it's like really difficult because you want people to see the thumbnail and have it be crazy and um want them to click on it so i'm not i mean that's a hard question for me because i'm not too involved so Chrissy can maybe answer that one better. Yeah, so my biggest like advocacy with my time at TSM was um you know, making sure that our th not only are our thumbnails clickable, but our titles are simple and to the point. Um I think there's a lot of misinformation um on the internet about what makes a clickable YouTube title. Um I operate in all aspects of my life on KISS, which is keep it simple stupid. Um, because people, you know, their first instinct is always going to be read something, look at something and then click on it. Um, so unfortunately, like the YouTube thumbnail meta is like very like, like having like all those like very emotive faces, <laughs> having bright colors, having big rounded text. Um, and I think for, you know, for the purposes of like challenge videos and, um, fun, fun videos, that, especially with content creators, I think that's great. Oh. I have a pepper in the background. That's my, my <laughs> husband's cat. Um, but um, I, I agree with Shane, like narrative content, you definitely want a thumbnail that kind of speaks to the content. You, you kind of want it to even be like a still from the video or something that reflects what's in the video. Um, and kind of having that, that balance is very important. Um, for me personally, I like to keep text minimal on YouTube thumbnails and I like to keep text minimal in the title because I think that if you have a very simple title, you don't really need a thumbnail to explain what's going on in a video. And I think it it kind of, like Shane says, make it, makes it really cheesy. 
Um, and also makes people not want to click it because it's just, it's cluttered. It's not nice to, it's not nice visually. And then you still get to keep the um, kind of still image or simplicity of a narrative content thumbnail while still catering to the bright colors and the emotive faces. Um, so yeah, that's kind nice. of my opinion on how to market the meaningful content anyway. And I think on my end, like if I have a narrative piece that I really feel strongly about and I don't agree with the thumbnail or title, like I just, you have to try to fight uh, just to get to get it. Like sometimes it doesn't make sense and sometimes it won't be as clickable, but it feels like more authentic for the video. And so I think there's good cases for that too. Um, it's definitely a tough balance. Like me as a creative, I'd rather like have the, the titles be more relatable to the content and not as clickable, but I understand why it's in the space. And so it's just a battle. Yeah, it is. It's 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 honestly a constant battle, and I think a lot of a lot of issues that we also see when we're producing content is that everybody has kind of a different opinion. Uh, creativity is subjective, and that can also you know either weigh in your favor or outside of your favor. So it's always good to go into it um, with 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 your goal and what's your intention. And obviously, with narrative content, it's to tell a story. So that's what our intention should be with with uh, titles. In that space and then if our intention is you know clickable content that is you know supposed to be fun to meme keep maybe keep it a little bit simpler and i think that's a good rule to abide by because i completely agree with narrative content we should be giving some sort of descriptor or incentive to click that kind of resonates with the player and resonates with the audience um so we can move into our next question uh jacksington asks are there any major artistic influences either of you have when directing editing or producing a piece of content uh yeah do you want me to go first yeah you can go first <laughs> uh so directing uh in the film sense i never used to be a huge movie guy and i'm still not like a crazy film nerd there's a lot of cult classics that i haven't seen that people would put me on a pitchfork for but um when it comes to directing i'm a huge fan of david fincher um he's my number one by a long shot um, for film. And then as far as like other pieces of content, I watch a lot of music video directors and editors. I think music videos are some of the most creative pieces of content um, ever made. I think there's a lot to learn. And so currently I watch a lot of, I'm probably gonna butcher his name, but it's like Valentin Petit. He's a French filmmaker. His ideas are just super crazy. His uh, team of editors are ridiculous. And so, yeah, I mean, you kind of just have to be all over the space and consume a lot of content. And then it's also a double-edged sword where you have to be careful where when you're consuming so much good content, you don't want to like put yourself down because you're not making that level of content. And so, yeah, I'd say David Fincher is a huge influence for me. And then music video directors, uh, like the one I mentioned, I like a guy named Alex Schiller as well. He's from Germany. Um, and yeah, Spike Jones, I guess, too, is a big influence on me because he started in skateboarding. Yeah, I'm I think I'm going to be put on a stake here, but I actually only I grew up in a very religious household where media was the devil. Um, so I actually never got to really watch TV or watch movies growing up. I actually got into TV when I was actually well into my 20s um, and then movies kind of 
throughout my life, but not not like a like a stark interest. So most of my um, inspiration is actually comes from digital media. So early days of YouTube, um, content creators. Um, like I said, my background was in World of Warcraft. So I personally took from there was a wonderful woman named PVP Girl um, who you know got my got me in with Machinima because she showed them my content. Um, as well as there's a machine animator called Quixotica. Those were like my early days kind of with framing and, compo and compositing um, shots. So those were my early day influences. Um, later day would probably be more along the lines of, I watch a lot of energy Apex Legends uh, challenges for remote content. Um, I get a lot of my inspiration from um, that channel specifically. I think it's really great. And I think they do an excellent job of utilizing their talent because they're, they're all spread out. Like Lulu is in Texas. Rogue, I think, is in Denver. And I don't really know where Asu is, but I know he's not near either of them. Um, and I think they do a really good job of, you know, creating these challenges and editing, editing them together and making it engaging. Um, and then on the same token, I think more recently, I've been really getting into our content at TSM. Um, I think Andrew does a fantastic job with TSM Legends. Um, I work one-on-one -on -one, one -on -one with him every week and we talk through the shots, we talk through um, all of the content and I, I ask for his opinion. I'm like, is this something that needs to be in there? Can you tell me why? And I get to, get to really like hear what he's saying. And I think that's really important for creating kind of narrative content because I just done like a full um, research on all of the other esports orgs for our YouTube strategy at TSM before I left. And um, nobody does narrative content. And if they do, it's either not consistent or it's not as good as our content. So I, I, I couldn't find anything better if I'm completely honest. That's not just me being like a fanboy. Um, so yeah, that's yeah, those are honestly, kind of my yeah. My my inspirations. I honestly don't watch too many esports videos because I don't want to. I guess even subconsciously do something another team's doing, and so I pull almost all of my stuff from, uh, like commercial music video space, um, and I think been successful so far. I love I love all the work you do. the The whiplash was great. It spoke to our fans like on a level that you know we didn't really expect, which was, I mean. We are all boomers, right? We were making a yeah, joke right a, before the show that started. That was a boomer idea for sure. Yeah. yeah. But no, it, it no, it's really fun. And I think that I like the fact that specifically our org kind of takes inspiration from other media and incorporates incorporates it into our skit content because it makes it a lot more enjoyable for people who have interests outside of gaming as well. And I think that's kind mm -hmm. of an audience that is untapped because everybody is making content for the gamer. But like, what about the non-gamers? So, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, and so there's another question from Jacksington, and he said that for a production that has a theme such as the TSM Apex Hot Howls with Imperial Howl, um, what is the perspective of the team in creating a respectful product that resonates with the original while also giving the TSM flair? Mm. If you don't want to answer it, I can because I produced it. I don't know if you want to hear yeah. it. Yeah. You're the star of the show, Shane. <laughs> I wasn't, I guess I won't speak on, you can speak on Hot House. And I'll kind of, I guess I'll speak on like a whiplash. And so whenever I pull from something, you want to respect it in the sense that, yeah, you don't want to make a carbon copy. Um, 
And so with Whiplash, I kind of just pulled like the most, one of the more iconic scenes, which was the intro scene, where um, it sets up basically the tone of how the story's going to go. And then I kind of just follow the beats of how it flows. And that's kind of like all I'll try to do when, when like copying something, I guess. I think it's hard in content because everything can technically be a copy of itself. And so um, it's obvious like that we were parroting Whiplash, but we still try to give it like its TSM flair with like what players are interacting with. Like for example, um, Bjergsen in that piece had tea and chapstick and things like that. And instead of playing drums, it was playing League of Legends. And um, I think the most important thing is like as long as people can put like two and two together instantly, it kind of just will will flow like that when I'm writing narrative stuff. But Chrissy could speak on, I guess, how something like Hot Howls goes. Yeah, so with Hot Howls, um, we actually got the idea from Hal's tweet. He was already kind of using it as a subscriber incentive. Um, so I saw the tweet and I was like, oh my god, we have to jump on this. Um, not only am I an avid Apex Legends player, but I love the, the TSM Apex boys. They're so great to work with. Um, and I thought it would be really fun because their personalities play off of one another. Um, so when we got that idea, we kind of sat down and we're like, okay, like how can we tackle this in the most time efficient and cost efficient way, uh, way as possible? Um, and how are we going to stay true to, you know, his original idea, which was he wanted to interact with chat, um, while making it kind of easy for us. So Wheels, uh, he's actually running the broadcast, uh, sat down and put together a whole, you know, um, equipment list for it and kind of, um, did the back end for the technical and then we kind of had a big meeting with um al and was like hey like how do you want to do this because it's really important to have the player who you know it was his idea anyway it's his, his stream sub goal um to have a voice so we really took that into consideration and in how he wanted to handle it and i think that's kind of how we were able to balance it while also having the production quality that you know is the tsm production quality yeah, I think, yeah, I agree with all that. I think we we never want to make a carbon copy, but we're fine, like, pulling themes. Um, I mean, if something's successful, you kind of, in the space, just, it just makes sense to try to make your own version of it um, and kind of piggyback. Yeah, for sure. Especially because, you know, copyright is a huge thing on Twitch now. So <laughs> definitely got to twist some things a little bit. Um, so the last question that we have for the evening, um, Jacksington is also asking if these projects that we have it here, here at TSM ever seem too restrictive to you, Shane, uh, compared to the freedom of full artistic control elsewhere um, from other jobs or freelance or whatever you've done before. And does this ever lead to failures for you? Hmm. I think this is, so I think early on you learn that as a creative, every project you ever do is going to feel too restricted. And even every project that you ever do, you're going to look back and think, I could have done this better. Um, the project's not as good as it could be, whether that's like the deadline was too quick or basically anything. I think you just really have to get over that fast. Um, obviously, you want to fight for as much artistic control and freedom that you have. But the only way I think you 
and 10% get that is if you're doing something for yourself with like no one else to tell you what to do, even if it's like, oh, put this product in um, or things like that. And so to achieve that like full content like Nirvana, it would be like just doing something completely on your own. But I also don't like collaboration's important. And so you kind of just find a balance of how do we tell or get this message across in a way that doesn't feel like we're restricting ourselves. And um, it's a fine, it's a fine line, but yeah, I'd say like, I would consider a lot of my stuff that's successful in like the eyes of the public failures, just because you hold yourself to a higher standard and um, you kind of just have to learn from it and move on and incorporate it into the next thing that you do. And so kind of just like a one foot in front of the other every time um but usually like you can have a lot of control over a project if the people like behind you believe in you and so i would just say it's a lot of like convincing showing and proving that you're good enough and then with that will come like the freedom to do more crazy ideas like that but i don't think like i think failure is inevitable and you learn from it and i think the people who fail are obviously like more successful than the people that don't and so um there's always something to take away with whatever piece of content you do it could be a golden globe but there's still something wrong with it um so yeah i'd say just embrace that failure and uh also be willing to give up certain things but still try to find a compromise to how to tell like the story in the best way possible Thank you for that insightful answer, Shane. <laughs> that was very, very um, touching, to be honest, because I don't <laughs> consider any of your projects to be failures. Um, you're extremely <laughs> talented, so it makes me Thank sad you. that you think that, but, you know, always better ever forward, all of that jazz. So yeah. um, I think that about wraps up our uh, TSMU Q&A for tonight. Um, I want to thank everybody, you know, in chat for attending. If you're watching in the VOD or on YouTube, thank you for watching this long. Thanks for sticking around. Um, and thank you so much, Shane, for your contributions, not only to content team, but to the TSMU broadcast on Twitch. It's very great for everybody to have this, you know, um, resource to learn more about esports, learn more about the production side, especially, and what it kind of takes to be a creative in this space. So thank you so much for uh, stopping by tonight. Yeah, it was my pleasure. It was a fun time. Um, this stuff's kind of scary, but yeah. ho hopefully we gave out some good advice, some usable hopefully. things. <laughs> or maybe we were completely wrong. Who knows? Yeah, maybe. Um, so <laughs> the next episode is going to be happening on August 11th at 5 p.m. PST with special guest Lauren Chen, eSports social partnership intern at Logitech G. We love Logitech G here at TSM. Um, so yeah. be sure to follow the channel so you know when we're live next. Shout um, out Logitech G. Yeah, shout out. Oh, I'm, I'm a <laughs>you might have muted yourself, Chrissy, when you picked your mouse up. I did mute myself yeah. when I picked my mouse up. My, uh, my, my toggle for push to talk is my backspace <laughs> button, which is not ideal. <laughs> um, so remind people to join. I'm reminding you people to join the TSMU Discord at discord.gg slash TSMU. Thank you so much again for coming. And I hope you guys have a wonderful evening. Have a good night. Goodbye. Bye, Take everyone. care.
Keep making red shit. See you in the next one. Thank you. Goodbye.